Welcome back to The Wrestling Room and welcome back to What I'm Learning, episode number five, where I share with you what I am learning in my own time in the Word and what the Holy Spirit is impressing on me and then combining it with what I'm, observe, I'm observing in the world around me. And so that brings me to the topic for today, which is seven signs that we are in the great deception of the last days. There are two movements that are taking place simultaneously. Movement number one is that there are more people coming to Jesus than I have ever seen or experienced or any of us have experienced in all of our lifetimes. People are coming to Jesus by the droves, largely in places like Iran, Nepal, some places in Africa, Korea, China. God is doing incredible things. But there's another movement. Not our, only are people coming to Jesus, there is a massive, massive exodus away from Jesus and out of the church at the same time. And we're watching this, uh, especially here in the United States. I'm watching it everywhere, all around me. It's, it's an epidemic. And this teaching is largely motivated by conversations that I've had with friends telling me of other friends that we used to worship with who have left the faith and are now opponents of the faith. And a text that I received of two young girls graduating high school, going off to college, part of our community group years ago, who are contemplating leaving Christianity altogether, raised in solid Christian families, raised in a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church, turning their backs on Jesus or contemplating it, as well as high-profile leaders and musicians who have professed faith in Jesus and are now becoming opponents of the faith. And this is not just one or two, but a, a large group and a growing group. Having said that, this should not surprise us. In 2 Timothy, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul told the Thessalonian church these words. He said, The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Now, what is the apostasy? That literally means the defection. The defection, which means to forsake one in favor of another to leave one and go to the rival, and even on a deeper level, to divorce, reject, or disown. Now, the context of this great defection is that all of history is moving towards what Scripture calls the last days, when Jesus will come again and take up his kingship at Jerusalem as the capital city of the world and reign and rule for 1,000 years in what is the most glorious kingdom, the glorious time period that the world has ever known. And if you know and love Jesus, that is your future. Habakkuk 2.14 describes it by saying, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. That is coming. Every corner of the planet will be declaring the praise of Jesus. There will be no defectors at that point. Now, before that happens, though, there will be this great event that I'm talking about during this episode, the Great Defection. At this point, there are 8 billion people on the planet, and roughly 31% call themselves Christians, or 2.5 billion people bear the title Christian. Roman Catholics, Orthodox, Anglican, Protestants of all different groups, sects, or denominations. But there will be a severe 
sifting, and it's happening right now. <laughs> and from it will emerge a much leaner but loyal and loving church of Jesus. Now, this will be set up, this great defection will be set up by the great deception. A time on this planet where we experience dishonesty, deceit, manipulation, trickery, and truly even treachery on a level that the planet has never seen it. So I want to give you seven signs that we are in this great deception of the last days that leads to the great defection that must come before Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom. So hope is, this is, this is all moving towards this great hope, but it has to happen first. So sign number one is difficult times. Difficult times. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, Paul tells the young pastor Timothy, realize this, Timothy, that in the last days, difficult times will come. A couple things I want to say about this. Timothy was pastoring in a time when Rome ruled the planet. And Rome was brutal and cruel. People were being offered to, to, to lions. People were being burned to the stake. It was a brutal time to be a believer. You want to talk about difficult times. Timothy was pastoring during difficult times. But Paul is saying, Timothy, there is a time coming that will even supersede what you're experiencing. This word difficult literally means dangerous, harsh, fierce, furious, violent, and even savage. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 7 describes these last days as being characterized by a spirit of lawlessness that would pervade the whole planet. Literally, rebellion to any and all kinds of authority. And we're watching that from the family to the church, to the government, and in every aspect of society. Teachers are bailing out uh, from the public schools because they cannot handle the rebellion of the students. They don't feel safe going to school anymore. My brother and his wife both are working in the public schools and keep me informed of the environment in the public schools. And it's brutal. It's savage. Friends, we're experiencing verbal savagery. Uh, social media has allowed the barrage of verbal abuse and savagery to go to a level we've never even dreamed it could go. Physical savagery, this last school shooting in Uvalde, I'm convinced is a sign of the end times. Savage. How about racial savagery? In a world where tolerance and inclusivity is being pro pronounced and preached and trumpeted from every corner, we have the highest level of anti-Semitism in the United States in our history. How about gender savagery? There's never been a worse time to be a man or a woman. <laughs> if you're a woman, you're hated. If you're a man, you're hated. You're hated if you're a child in the womb, you're hated. If you're a child outside the womb, you're now hated. California is trying to create legislation that allows a mother to abandon their children, her child, outside the womb after birth and allow that child to die. It's called out-of-womb abortion. And there's enthusiastic support for it. Friends, 
difficult times, savage times will characterize and describe the end times when this great deception comes because difficulty leads to desperation and fear which opens the floodgates for deception. Listen to what Niccolo Machiavelli said. He said, whoever controls the people's fears becomes the master of their souls. Fear is used as a control tactic to master the souls of people. We're watching that on a global scale like never before. George Orwell, the author of Animal Farm, somewhat of a modern-day prophet, said this, Power is in tearing human minds to pieces and putting them together again in new shapes of your own choosing. And that's what the world leaders are doing. They have the planet wrapped in fear. They're tearing human minds to pieces and then putting them back together again in a shape that they can control, manipulate, and deceive. Friends, it's our whole planet. This describes our whole planet. When you live in fear, it creates vulnerability, irrationality, and impulsivity. We do things when we're driven by fear that we would never do when we are in our clear and right minds. Listen to what Jesus says about these difficult times. He said this when his disciples asked him, how do we know when the end times is here? What will be the signs? Jesus said this. He prefaced his comments roughly by saying this, see to it that you are not frightened. Jesus understood the potential for even his followers to succumb to headline hysteria. And Jesus is warning us, brothers and sisters, these times have been predicted. These times have been foretold. These difficult, savage, violent, brutal times, we, we've been told about them. Don't succumb to fear. Headline hysteria. We are moving through this difficulty into a grand conclusion. Hang in there. So sign number one is difficult times. Number two, though, is global religion and spirituality. Second Timothy 3 verse 5, Paul, talking to Timothy again, says this, In the last days, people will hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. The New Living Translation says it this way, They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them holy. Let me illustrate it this way. Recently, I and my youngest son, Simon, and my daughter, Lily, went to Magic Mountain in Southern California. We were on a, on a road trip together and spent a day at Magic Mountain. And we went on a ride, a roller coaster, called the West Coast Racers. Fantastic. I highly recommend it. But as we walked into the ride, we look over and to the left, there is the most spectacular, I believe it was a Lamborghini, sitting there. It's just eye-poppingly beautiful. But the closer you got to it, you realized it was just a shell. It was a fiberglass shell. There was no engine whatsoever. It was a muscle car without an engine. It just had the form of a Lamborghini, but it had no power of a Lamborghini. And friends, that is precisely what it will be like in the last days. A form of godliness, but no power to make anybody holy. There won't be any power to forgive or cleanse from sin. There'll be no power to transform, no power to give lasting joy, no power to restore a relationship with God that has been broken, no power to grant eternal life, no power. 
It's just a spiritual fashion show. It's religious theater. And the jargon will be, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I don't practice organized religion. I worship God in my own way. Have you heard that before? And friends, the mantra of this form of godliness will sound like this. I would like $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Friends, atheism and agnosticism will not be the prevailing mindset in the last days. Revelation 17 and 18 vividly describes what is called the great whore of Babylon or the one world church who deceives the whole world. The planet, brothers and sisters, in the last days will be saturated with spirituality and religion, will be drowning in it, and it will create a seedbed for massive, massive destruction. But sign number three, <laughs> amazingly enough, there will be incredible religion and spirituality, but there will be an intolerance for truth. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, Paul tells this young pastor, Timothy, Timothy, a time is coming when people will no longer endure sound doctrine. Let me break this down a little bit, some of the words. Sound literally means hygienic. It's the word we get our word hygiene from. In other words, people will not endure hygienic teaching, clean, unpolluted says they won't endure sound doctrine. These are the long-held doctrines, the foundational truths that, that Jesus-loving, Bible-loving people have held to for 2,000-plus years. Doctrines such as the virgin birth of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, the sinfulness and fallenness of mankind, the sinlessness of Jesus, the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross in my place and in your place, the resurrection of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, just to name a few. Friends, the New Living Translation says they will not endure or listen to these sound doctrines, these doctrines, but number, but they will do one of two things. They'll, number one, they'll crave spiritual junk food, junk food. It says they won't endure sound doctrine. The word endure means to hold fast in your hand, to hold tightly to something of value. The context here is a spiritual appetite. They will have no appetite for clean, wholesome, unpolluted spiritual food. If you hand them a plate of hot, beautiful truth, friends, they will drop it like a hot potato. They will refuse to hold it into their in their hand. They will recoil from it like they've touched an electric fence. They don't want anything to do with it. Pastor Tony Evans puts it this way, and I think this is brilliant. He said, everyone wants God. They just want him on sale. As long as they can get him cheap, they'll shop there. But the moment he comes at full price, they'll take their business elsewhere. Friends, people will have no appetite for the old-time religion. 
<laughs> they will crave the new, the improved, the up-to-date, the current with the times spirituality that essentially agrees with whatever they, whatever they believe. So number one, they will crave spiritual junk food, but number two, they will create spiritual junk food. 2 Timothy 4.4, 4, they will turn away their ears from the truth. In other words, they'll reject the truth and will turn their ears to myths or made-up stories. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been talking with somebody about their spiritual journey and about their spiritual beliefs, and the further you get into the conversation, the more you realize they're just making this stuff up? We have a friend that we love, but the truth is completely unpalatable to him. He has no appetite for it whatsoever. He's constantly reading and listening to many different sources and taking a little here and a little there and weaving it all together to create his own spiritual patchwork quilt about the nature of God, the nature of man, the origin of life, the purpose of life, life after death, all of these things. He is kind of cutting and pasting together his own made-up story, his own myth. And staking then his whole eternal his whole eternal destiny on it, and the crazy thing is, he admits it. He's told us that that's the case. Incredible, and this intolerance, brothers and sisters, for truth will swing the doors wide open to deception. So sign number three is an intolerance for truth, but sign number four is an obsession with self. When I was a boy, I loved to read the magazine National Geographic. I devoured it. And then Time Magazine came out, and I loved to read Time, and Life Magazine, loved to read Life. And then People Magazine came out. And then People Became Us Magazine. And then now as you go through the line at the, at the grocery store, you pass Self Magazine. Self. Speaking of self, we've got to talk about selfies. Did you realize that today, today, 92 million selfies will be taken? 92 million. 92 million times people will lift their telephones or some kind of a camera and take a picture of themselves. Wow. Self-help books. If you want to buy a self-help book, or two, or 10, or 50, you can choose from over 85,253 options, self-help books that teach you how to help self. <laughs> Speaking of self, let's talk about worship of self, or what is known as narcissism, a buzzword today, and is now classified as a full-on personality disorder and considered to be an international epidemic. Mayo Clinic defines narcissism as a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance and a deep need for excessive attention and admiration. I think Webster's definition of a narcissist is even more graphic. One who is extremely self-centered, with an exaggerated sense of self-importance marked by excessive admiration for and infatuation with self, oneself, 
and a lack of concern for others. Psychology Today magazine estimates that over 10% of all young people from ages 20 to 30 are either clinical narcissists or on the verge of becoming a clinical narcissist. Wow. Now, question. What is the source of this self-worship? Who or what is the driving force behind it? Well, friends, I want to read to you from an article, June 10th, June 10th, 2022, entitled, Satanists in Idaho Target Kids and Families in City Park Pride Event with Unbaptisms and Drag Dance Party. Here's what it reads, and I'm just going to read a few of the paragraphs. The Satanic Temple, otherwise known as TST, Idaho is sponsoring a Pride Month event this weekend aimed at children and families that will feature unbaptisms and a drag dance party. KBOI TV in Boise reports that the so-called family-friendly Pride in the Park event at the Coeur d'Alene City Park and Bandshell, which is being promoted as bigger and bolder than ever, will take place on Saturday. According to the outlet... Along with the Satanic Temple Idaho, the ACLU of Idaho, Every Town for Gun Safety, Citizens Climate Lobby, Ecumenical Catholic Communion Church, Idaho State Police District 1, and a local public library are also involved in the event. Wow. One of the activities at the event that's being promoted by the Satanic Temple Idaho is the Act of Unbaptisms, according to KBOI. They're offering unbaptisms. Here's a quote. We are so excited to announce that we will have a booth and be participating in Coeur d'Alene's Pride in the Park event next Saturday. We have merchandise for sale and we'll be offering support to our community and performing unbaptisms for those interested. Just know, Satan loves you for you. Hail Satan. My goodness. According to the Satanic Temple, unbaptisms are, quote, an opportunity for religious liberation and self-worship. There you go. Quote, join us in casting aside the shackles of religious tyranny and embracing the self, the Satanists said on the Temple's website. Sign number four, my dear friends, is an absolute obsession with self. Timothy was told by Paul again in 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, in these last days, or in the last days, difficult times will come. And then he gives the number one reason for these difficult times. And what do you think it is? Is it out of control government? Is it attacking enemies? What is the issue? He says, people will love only themselves and their money. <laughs> that is the source of the savagery going on in the last days, that people will be in a torrid, scorching love affair with themselves, supported by their money. <laughs> Friends, when you have love of self, 
plus love of money, which the Bible says is the root of all sorts of evil, you get violence, danger, and savagery. And we see in these end times this greed-driven culture, this greed-driven world. Savagery is absolutely connected with love of self and love of money. And no wonder that people are bailing out right, left, and center from Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said about what was required to follow him. His conditions are in direct conflict on collision course with self-love. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 16, 25. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew 20, 26 and 27. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first shall be your slave. Luke 14, 33. No one can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which means stuff and the, and the, and the money that buys the stuff. One or the other. You can't have both. You can't serve both. In Luke 17, 33, if you cling to your life, if you cling to yourself, you'll lose it. Jesus says, but if you let go of yourself, you will save it. And brothers and sisters, in these last difficult, brutal days, because the requirements that Jesus lays down are so repulsive to the self-life, so diametrically opposed to a life of someone who worships self, people will turn their backs on Jesus. And this epidemic of self-love then will set up naturally sign number five, which is an explosion of false prophets. Because you see, where you have an an addiction, you will always have a supplier for that addiction. And this addiction of self will give rise to uh, to false prophets who are experts in selling the self-love snake oil to the self-addicted. Matthew 24, 11, Jesus says this, Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many people. Behold, I have told you in advance. Again, Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, For the time will come when people will not endure or tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. So question for you, what is the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet, a man or a woman who truly speaks for God? Well, it's very simple. This verse bears it out. A false prophet will tell you what you want to hear. And what do most people want to hear, particularly in these last days? Well, the answer They want to hear about the Trinity, me, myself, and I. And here's a sampling, brothers and sisters, of some ear-tickling 
from, from a recent message given at one of America's largest Christian megachurches. Get ready. <laughs> Quote, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize that when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen? And to that amen, a rousing response, amen, was given by roughly 30,000 people. So how do you know a true prophet? Well, a true prophet tells you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear, what God has instructed them to tell you. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, Paul is instructing this young pastor, Timothy, preach the word, preach the word, preach the word, be ready in season, be ready out of season, have your guns loaded all the time, always be ready to speak for God. And then he gives him the three characteristics of his preaching, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and do it, Timothy, with great patience and instruction. To reprove means to scold or correct with kindly intent. To rebuke means to criticize sharply or to reprimand. And to exhort means to give warning or advice, to urge strongly. Brothers and sisters, these are things a false prophet will never do. Solomon Stoddard, the Old Puritan preacher from yesteryear exhorted young pastors, young preachers. He said this, We are not sent into the pulpit to show our wit and eloquence, but to set the consciences of men on fire. A false prophet tickles ears. A true prophet, a true man or woman of God, is not afraid to step on toes to put a foot in the backside, to speak the hard word. Their goal is to set the consciences of men on fire. And if you're in a church where that man teaching the scripture is afraid to speak the hard word, run for the hills because you are sitting under the leadership of a false prophet. And sign number five is that there will be an explosion of false prophets in the last days. But number six, brothers and sisters, sign number six is mighty miracles, signs, and wonders. If you want your likes and subscribers to explode from the hundreds to the millions, if you want people to jump on your bandwagon by the droves, then do one of two things. Number one, produce a miracle or something that looks like a miracle. Number one, and Jesus said that was exactly what would happen in the last days, the last great days of deception. Matthew 24, 24, Jesus warned us. He said this, for in the last days, false Christs and false prophets will arise and will perform great signs and wonders so as to mislead, even if possible, the elect. They would be so convincing 
that even followers of Jesus would be tempted to bite, to follow them. They were so persuasive. Miracles are convincing. Miracles are compelling. But Jesus goes on to reveal the conversation that he will have with these false prophets when they stand before him on the day of judgment. Friends, this is brutal. This is, this is crazy. This will turn some theologies upside down. Matthew 7, 23, or 22 and 23. Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Jesus will be sitting on the seat of judgment. They will say this, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name we cast out demons, and in your name we performed many miracles, not just a miracle, many miracles. And Jesus will say to them, he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Have you ever dreamed that you would hear prophecy and casting out demons and performing miracles categorized as practicing lawlessness. But that is precisely what Jesus is saying. I never knew you. You were practicing lawlessness when you did these things. And in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9, this final great counterfeit, the Antichrist, is spoken of, and it says this, this one will do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. In Revelation 13, 11 through 15, his, his sidekick, the false prophet, is also described, and it says he also performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of the sky from uh, to the earth, counterfeiting the great prophet Elijah in the presence of people. And he deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform. Given to him by who? Well, earlier on in Revelation chapter 13, we know it was that power, that authority to do these things was given by Satan himself. And that gives us the insight into the fact that Satan does have power. Now, his power is just a teacup full of power compared to the Niagara Falls of God's power. But still, he has power and he gives it to the Antichrist and the false prophet, these final great false prophets, and they deceive many. They deceive many. People will be enamored by deceitful miracles and will sell their souls to the deceivers. Number seven. The seventh sign is that there will be heightened demonic activity. Heightened demonic activity. And I want to give you three thoughts on this. Number one, the Bible expects this. The Bible look, looks forward to and predicts this. When you study the life and ministry of Jesus, when he first came, you find that after his baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, the dove of the Holy Spirit came upon him. The voice of the Father affirmed him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And from that moment on, Jesus is confronting Satan initially, directly, immediately after, and then demonic forces over and over and over and over in his ministry prior to going to the cross. You see it constantly in his ministry. It's a major portion of his ministry. Confrontation with demons. Well, you find also that before Jesus comes as king and is coronated, 
this demonic activity will once again explode. Listen to what 1 Timothy 4.1 says. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, in the end times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings that come from demons. Revelation 12, 12 goes even further and gives us a prediction of what would happen in the end days. It says, woe to the earth, woe to the sea. In other words, beware, prepare yourselves, get ready. Why? Because the devil has come down to you with great wrath because he knows he only has a short time. Friends, the Bible expects it. The Bible looks forward and predicts that there would be heightened demonic activity led by Satan himself in the last days. But pastors are experiencing it. Number two, Pastor Brandon Holdhouse spoke at a prophecy conference that I attended a couple weekends ago, and he had a whole hour on demonic activity in the last days. And I'll summarize it with just a a couple simple uh, thoughts. He said that in the last three to five years, He and many other pastors that he is talking with are experiencing a dramatic increase in bizarre confrontations with and reports about demons. This includes dreams, appearances or apparitions, physical paralysis where people are are, uh, sharing that they have somebody sitting on their chest at night and their body is completely paralyzed as a result of it. (laughs) Voices, laughing, profanity, objects moving in the house, attacks in bed at night, very similar to the physical paralysis, and many, many other other experiences. And friends, the amazing thing is the only thing that relieves these attacks, the only thing that sends the attacker running is a declaration of the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, those demons flee away from the person being attacked. Incredible. So the Bible expects it. Pastors are experiencing it. But the media is exposing it. Listen to this. March 23rd, 2022. From our Pentagon, Pentagon, the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the Department of Defense's spy arm, under duress, released 1,574 pages of real-life X-Files related to their secretive UFO program. And inside of that 1,574 pages was included government-commissioned scientific reports regarding this UFO program, which is called Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program, or AATIP, T-I-P, Numerous videos taken by the military showing interactions with unidentified aerial phenomena and the DIA's research into the biological effects of the UFO sightings on humans, which include burns, heart problems, sleep disturbances, and even bizarre occurrences such as apparent abductions, sexual abuse, and unaccounted for pregnancy. (laughs) You're probably looking at me and just saying, what are you talking about? Friends, 1,574 pages of documents chronicling all these things. Some would call it 
life from another planet, I will tell you, this is demonic activity. Revelation 12, 12 says, Woe to the earth and woe to the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. Seven signs that we are living in the great deception of the last days. Sign number one, difficult times. Number two, global religion and spirituality. Number three, an intolerance of truth. Number four, an obsession with self. Number five, an explosion of false prophets. Number six, mighty miracle signs and wonders. And number seven, heightened demonic activity. And I want to give you three final verses to drive the nail home and to, to tie all of this together. Number one is 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, where Peter is also battling for the believers, knowing that they were undergoing persecution and pressure. He says this, stay sober, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Then he says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Brothers and sisters, get your eyes off yourself. You have an enemy who wants you to be self-absorbed so he can pounce on you while you're focused on your poor, pitiful self. Listen, don't do it. <laughs> Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. And then Hebrews 12, 2, here's where we focus our eyes. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. So we're sober and alert for the attack of the enemy, but we're focused on the Lord Jesus, our champion who initiates and perfects our faith, Hebrews 12, 2. And finally, Jesus declared in Matthew 24, 13, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. Brothers and sisters, that is a powerful final exhortation. He or she who perseveres to the end will be saved. There are a lot of people who will parade, who will look like Christians, who have a form of godliness, who will say they follow Jesus, but at the end of the day, he or she who perseveres, who endures, who holds on to the end, they will be saved. Be one of them. And if you're not, repent of your sin, turn to Jesus, acknowledge him as your Lord, your master, your savior, and love him and serve him to the end of your days. That's all I've got for you today. I pray this will have challenged you, opened your eyes, and given you an understanding of the days that we are living in, deceitful days. But Jesus is coming. The end is glorious. Hold on, brothers and sisters. We'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next time in the wrestling room.